When I think of how the, the, the church is to act, I think of three categories. One is worship. We gather together like we are right now to look up and thank God for coming to us in the person of Jesus by his grace. We're also to gather in smaller communities, smaller groups where we can learn how to love one another and learn how to hold one another accountable to following Christ. But the third one is this idea of outreach, thinking about people who are outside our walls, nearby and far away. So Jesus came from heaven and walked this earth and lived the perfect life, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and then he was buried, and then he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven, where he sits now at the right hand of the Father, and one day he will come again, and he will set up his kingdom here on earth, along with those who have given their lives to God through faith in Jesus. Between this day and that day, it is the job of the church, it is your job and my job, to help as many people understand how they can come back to God through faith in Christ. And that's exactly in line, in alignment with what Jesus said, his very last words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A witness is somebody who lives their life for Christ with their life, and also with their words. They testify with their words. And so we're talking about what we do globally, Burundi, Mexico, different places that we get to be a part of, a community. We get to bless people downtown through the Nehemiah Center. In two weeks, Daryl Strawberry, maybe you know the name, but will be standing right where I am, telling his story of baseball fame, addiction, and recovery through Christ, a way to bless our community and remind us of what the the scourge of of addiction is and the hope that comes through faith in Christ. But personally, that's, that's where you and I come in, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how to share our faith. Wow. So we are in this series called Habits, the Spiritual Disciplines. We've talked about confession, meditation, prayer, fasting, celebration. Today, sharing our faith. Okay, what I'd like to do is to take a few moments and help us understand what we mean by that, and then why, briefly, why it's so hard, and then why it's so important, and then get into some principles of how we can do that in our everyday lives, all right? So, we're talking about sharing our faith, which equals evangelism. Now, that's not a word that actually is found in the New Testament, but everywhere in the New Testament, this idea is found communicating the good news of Jesus Christ with the hope of someone believing. And that's the job of the church. That's the job of any believer. Now, let me just push the pause button and make a sidebar comment. Some of you might be here today uh, thinking, I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. In fact, I'm exploring God for the first time. This is my first time to church ever, or maybe in a long time. And you're talking about sharing my faith. Well, in a little while, near the end of, at the end of the message, I'll, I'll have a special word, a special prayer for you as you explore the idea of God. But if you happen to be a Christian, you call yourself a Christ follower, and whether you stepped over the line of faith yesterday or maybe 60 years ago, this is an incredibly topic for every one of us because Jesus has told us to share our faith. Um, this doesn't mean you need to be like Billy Graham. 
You don't need to be like the guy on the street corner with a bullhorn or going door to door. What we're talking about, hopefully you'll understand by the end of our time together, that, that, that sharing our faith can be done in the context of our own, your own personality and where God has put you, where you work and live and play, right? A number of years ago, I, I did a study of church-going adults in a church much like ours. In fact, it's called the chapel. It's the church in Akron. A couple hundred adults. And, and I asked them to complete this sentence. Why, what, what barriers would keep you from sharing your faith with someone? What barriers would keep you from sharing your faith with someone? And, and the results were interesting. I have all of the raw data and a lot of different um, comments related to that data, but I boiled it down into five responses, and they're numbered from the, the, the highest response to the, to the lowest response, and it goes like this. The first one is apathy. <laughs> I can relate to that. Maybe you don't care. That was a joke. That's apathy. I don't care. Or maybe I just never think about it. That's okay, too. Um, at the end of our time, I also have a special prayer I want to pray with you, one much like what I prayed years ago. Another reason that we might not want to share our faith is just time and busyness, but hopefully through this discussion you'll realize there is no extra time required to share our faith. Introspection, that has to do with our fears or what somebody might think of me or maybe I don't have my act together. Like, who does have their act together, right? When will that happen? Um, lack of knowledge, I'm not sure I know enough, or, or, or I'm afraid that if I, if I live out my faith in front of this person or share my faith with this person, I'll lose a friend. Well, hopefully you'll see as a result of what we talk about, that's not going to happen if we do it in the right way. Now, it's really important to understand that we all wrestle with these different barriers. I do, you do, and yet it's important to realize that it's important this is a critical issue for, for, for a number of reasons. One, it's out of obedience. We just read earlier, you will be my witnesses. This is an expectation of Jesus to, with our lives and with our words to be a witness for Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, just before he ascends, go and make disciples of all nations. To make a disciple means to help people become learners of, of what it means to follow Christ. It starts with the idea of sharing our faith. The idea of love. Um, there's no higher form of love than when we help somebody understand how they can have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. If you saw someone you cared about in the middle of the road and a truck is coming there barreling toward them, you would do whatever you can to get them out of the way. That's love. How much more important is the issue of understanding God's forgiveness and, the, and the, his offer, the gift of eternal life? And then just what it does for my soul. Years ago, I read, someone said, remind yourself of the gospel every day. Remind yourself that, that God has done for you through Christ what you could never do for yourself every day. And one of the ways we can do that is by telling somebody else about how they can have a relationship with God through Christ. It's good for my soul. I've never met somebody who's shared their faith openly who said that what didn't help. No, it always helps the soul deep down inside. Now, with those reasons for sharing our faith, I want to get into a particular passage that helps us to understand principles for doing that. All right? 
There are a lot of passages in Scripture that, that, that talk about sharing our faith, even the how-tos. But the one I want to look at, I think, is really appropriate because it sort of parallels where our culture is today. We're going to look at the story of Paul in Acts chapter 17. Maybe you've seen this before, when he shows up in Athens, Athens, Greece. And Athens is a high, um, it's a very uh, philosophically sophisticated community. Uh, It's known for its pluralism. It's diverse religious beliefs. It's diverse belief systems. You have the Epicureans, who were like the, the, the fun people, the party goers. And you had the Stoics, who they thought deeply. And you had many others. And when Paul would stand at the top of the hill where he was, Mars Hill, the Areopagus, he could look down and see the different statues and shrines that were built to these various gods. And one of them actually said, to an unknown god. But none of them were connected to Jesus because they had no idea about Jesus at all. We live in an increasingly what's called a postmodern, post-Christian culture. Especially you can see this on our televisions or on campuses today, but maybe where you work, maybe where you live, where our belief systems are incredibly, increasingly diverse. And more and more people today don't know about Jesus. They don't know about the God in the Bible. And it's our opportunity to tell God's story, to share our faith, but to do it in a way, in a way that does not repel people, but actually attracts people. So how do we do that? And that's where Acts chapter 17 comes in. Um, It's a rather long story. But I think you'll find it interesting because of what Paul does and what he says. And I want us to look at it together. This is how it goes. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, or statues. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown god. And this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determine their boundaries." His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. (laughs) When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Okay, let's draw three principles out of what we just read. I'm going to give you the three principles right now. Paul accepted them, he appreciated them, and he influenced them. And I think these are principles we can live by today as well. Now, we're going to need to go back and read some of that story again. Let's get after it, okay? He accepted them. The first principle of accepted, what it, I'm going to tell you what accepted is and what it doesn't mean. Acceptance is a willingness to rub shoulders. This is what we read. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and the resurrection. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching. They said, you are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Here's Paul in the midst of these high-minded philosophers. Here he is in the midst of them, and the reason he's in the midst of them is because he's willing to rub shoulders with them. At another time, just before this, when he was in Thessalonica, he has an amazingly a prosperous ministry, a successful ministry. Many people came to Christ, but he gives it away in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. He rubbed shoulders with them. Jesus had a meaningful conversation with the Samaritan woman when he walked through Samaria, Samaria because he was willing to walk into her neck of the woods. Rubbing shoulders. If there's no contact, there's no impact. Right? As a pastor, I can live in a Christian bubble. I can easily just go to church and go to another Christian thing, go to another Christian thing. And I want to ask you, do you find yourself like that at times? Just from, from one Christian thing? In a Christian bubble? Some years ago, when we were, my wife and I were moving to another part of Akron, I was determined to get out of that bubble and to get involved in men's lives, men who may not believe in Christ, may not go to church. I wanted to be around them because proximity opens the door for possibility. And that's true for you as well. Now, acceptance is not approval. Let's let's take the next one together. Acceptance is not the compromise of convictions. Now, here's Paul walking in the midst of these individuals who, who don't believe like he believes, who don't necessarily share his convictions, and yet he's willing to be in their midst, and I've got a concern. I've got a concern for the church today. I had a great conversation with a gentleman last night who, 
grew up in a church that said, no, you must not go near them, you shouldn't go near them, and that's the way it is for too many people today. We find Christians or churches saying things like, you better not go be a part of that person or that group because your convictions may soften. Or you better not be a part of that person or, or that group because people may think you agree with them. Or you better not be a part of that person or that group because of and all kinds of what-ifs and what-abouts. Now, as a sidebar comment, I would say this. Always, always, always refuse to, 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 to um, compromise what Scripture says and, and refuse to violate your own conscience. But I would also say push your comfort zones. Scripture tells us to do that. Because what we don't want to do is reinforce what culture already thinks about Christians. You know, they're superior to us. They, they, they think they're better than us. They, they, they'll judge us. We don't want to do that. We want to be involved with people. Being involved with people doesn't have to mean we approve or, or, or we compromise our convictions. We want to rub shoulders and be a part of their lives. Acceptance says, your opinions matter to me. You know, Jesus walked with some people who had some really crazy, strange ideas. But you never hear Jesus saying things like, I can't believe you think that. Or you believe what? He was always, I, I love the term, unshockable. And that's the way I want to be is unshockable. So here's Paul with these people who believe strange ideas. They thought he believed strange ideas. They believe strange ideas too. And yet Paul listened to them because their opinions matter. Why did their opinions matter? The, the, the person that you may have in mind at work or at home or in your neighborhood why does their opinion matter? Because this, they're created in the image of God, period. That's why their opinions matter, and that's why we listen. Acceptance sets up the law of reciprocity. I read a really good book many, many years ago called The Friendship Factor by Alan Loy McGinnis, and the one little phrase I remember from the book is, interest begets interest. Isn't that how friendships begin? I'm interested in you, you're interested in me, and now we develop a friendship. The same thing for acceptance. Acceptance begets acceptance. And that is how we begin to develop a bridge of friendship and trust. So this is where Paul started. And this is where you and I need to start when it comes to sharing our faith. Now, Paul also knew how to appreciate. What do we mean by that? Appreciation means taking time to learn what someone values and believes. And earlier, this is what we read. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of the, your altars has this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now, deeper into the, into the passage we read, it says this, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Paul does not launch right into a message. He doesn't launch right into a sermon. What does he do? He becomes a student. I envision Paul walking among the shrines, among the statues, among the altars with somebody with an Athenian, asking them, well, now what does this shrine mean? To, to, to what God is this one erected? And apparently he got with some of the poets or he learned some of the poetry. And, and back then, of course, literature was everything and poetry was a big deal. And so he learned what the poets had to say. And what was, he was just trying to learn the culture, 
learn their values and beliefs. Over the last years, I've, I've tried to get better at not just speaking first, but asking questions, finding out what somebody believes and, and why they believe it. I'll even use it in my mind. I'll use an acronym form, <laughs> F, family, finding out about the family. Oh, finding out about their occupation and their, and their, and their hobbies and things like that. R, recreation. What do you love to do? But the M is meaning, trying to get into how they think about life, their, their belief system, their values and beliefs. When you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't look at you in the eyeball and say, I know your problem. No, they ask questions first. Uh, the letter carrier, the mailman, <laughs> the only reason they know where to deliver the mail is because they have the address. And when we ask questions of people, we learn their spiritual address so we can know how to more accurately deliver the good news of Christ when that time comes. You've heard this said, but I'll say it again. Nobody cares how much you know until they care, until they know how much you care. So Paul appreciates them. He wants to know their values and beliefs. Now, Appreciation realizes all truth is from God. Let's put this one in there too. Appreciation realizes all good is from God. Man, I, I, I just, I enjoy other cultures. I enjoy what other people think about life and about God. And so I want to ask questions. And, and sometimes when I'm with someone who is maybe of the Hindu background from India or Nepal, or somebody who is from a Muslim background from wherever that might be in the world. Many J1 students who come here are from a Muslim background. I'd love to, to talk to them. Or maybe somebody from an animist background in Africa or somewhere in the world. I like to ask them questions and then look for that common ground that I have as a Christian with them because all truth is from God. So somebody says, I believe in the afterlife. I say, well, I, I do too. I believe there's a higher power. I do too. I believe there's a problem in this world that mankind has created. I do too. I think we should do the very best we can to help our fellow man. I do too. All of those are consistent with Christianity. All truth is from God. And every religion out there, whether it's a major religion or the person on your street, Something they believe that is true comes from God. And not just truth, but, but that which is good, too. I, I love it when, a, when a, a religion that may not be Christian or somebody who may not be a Christ follower, they're doing something good for their community. They're raising money for someone. They give up their seat for somebody. They're doing that because God has worked good into their life. All they're doing is expressing the character of God. The book of James says that all good comes from above. When a person does good, they're expressing the character of God because they are created in the image of God. And so Paul knew how to accept people. He knew how to appreciate people. And I think this is what led to his ability to influence. But it's not a formula. should be there. A Christian should be marked by a lifestyle of acceptance and appreciation. Again, it's not a formula. It should be a lifestyle. But as Paul lived out this lifestyle of accepting and appreciating, what it led to was his ability to influence. And I think the same thing can happen for us. 
Now, Paul's ability to influence was undergirded by different principles. Let me share a few of those with you. Paul had this compassion. Don't miss how this entire section begins. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Paul was crushed inside. He had compassion for these people because they were lost. They didn't know God through Christ. They didn't understand why Jesus had come. He was crushed. He was disturbed because of all the idols that he saw. At one point, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this age, the enemy of our souls, has spiritually blinded people. Think about those in your life who may still not know God through faith in Jesus, may still not be following Christ. They've been blinded. That should bring us to our knees and and give us compassion for them. I, I think of Jesus when he, when he would, would come up to a crowd, he would look at them and said he was filled with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Or I think of the, the story, the wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. It says he was filled with compassion, and so he stooped down and scooped up this person in need. He had compassion. That's the starting point. Do you have compassion for your coworker? Do you have compassion for your family member? Do you have compassion for your neighbor? That's a starting point, something to pray about. Next one, he saw the big picture. This is what we read earlier. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. A lot of words there. Let me break it down like this. Paul understood that God created everything and that God created everybody. And God created everybody for a particular point in time. And that means the person who lives near you, the person who is at the gym, the person who is the marketplace, the person in your family, God put them there for a reason. And God's desire is for them to come back to him through faith in Christ. But not only has God put them there, God has put you and me there. Here we are, the church, gathered in this room. But in a little while, we are leaving here, and then we become the church distributed then we are the church out there. You've heard me say it before. I heard a, one, a man one day, a wonderful author, speaker, he was asked the question, when is the church most effective? And his, his answer was, when the lights are off, the pews are empty, and the cars are gone. That's when the church is out there. And that's where God has placed you sovereignly, strategically, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your family, to share your faith, to accept, appreciate, and influence. That's seeing the big picture. And then, started where they were. Um, when, if you go back to Acts chapter 13, Paul was in a place called Pisidian Antioch. They, they had, there, there was a lot of Jewish history there. And because there was a lot of Jewish history there, he started with that and then moved into the story of Jesus. But when he came to Athens, there was no Jewish history there. He had to start even farther back with creation and then move towards Jewish history and then move toward Jesus. The point is this. Start where people are, not where you want them to be. 
And that comes through asking questions and finding out about their story. And the last one is simply this. He, le- he left the results to God. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. To me, this is one of the most relieving things possible. We leave the results to God. We have our responsibility to share our faith, to share the story of God, but then we leave the results to God. Some laughed at him. Some may laugh at you when you share your faith. But some may believe. All right. That's a lot, there's a lot of principles there. Let me boil it down into just some next steps. Who are my three? Sometimes we can get overwhelmed thinking about all the people that we know. Just think of three people who may still be apart from Christ by their own admission or by your best guess and write them down. Three people that you are willing to pray for. This is what prayer does. It not only moves the arm of God, but prayer also moves your heart. As you pray for somebody, you now will begin to look for ways to love them and to serve them with your life. And then an opportunity just to say a simple good word for Jesus. The, the, the second one is just to build a, a, a bridge of friendship and trust. That comes through acceptance and appreciation. It comes through respecting them, listening to them. Interest begets interest. Acceptance begets acceptance. Third one is simply just tell God's story. Now, this is, this, is, this is where so many people get tripped up. They feel like, I don't know enough about the Bible. You don't need to know a lot about the Bible. When my friend Jim shared Jesus with me many years ago, all he said basically was, Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you. Bam. And I became a Christian. That's it. You don't need much. When the blind man in the New Testament turned to Jesus, he told others, I was once blind, but now I see. Bam. That's his story. What's your story? You can say it in a sentence, in a paragraph. Take a minute. But what's your story? Tell the story of Christ and how it's impacted your life. That's all you have to do. That's what it means to share our faith. You know, the last one is let God work. Somebody has said that it takes about seven times for somebody to clearly understand what it means to trust Christ before they finally step over the line of faith. Here's the thing. You don't know if you're number one, two, three, or number 30. Our job is simply to be faithful in sharing our faith and then leaving the results up to God and let him bring that person over the line of faith. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I want to pray two different prayers. One is similar to a prayer I prayed years ago because I was struggling so much with apathy. And maybe that's you. And this is the prayer you can pray with me if you are a Christ follower. (laughs) God, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who I claim as my personal Savior and the one I follow as Lord. All by your grace and because of my faith alone, you have brought me into your family. 
As a Christian, I want to be the kind of witness Jesus has told me to be, unafraid to share my faith. Please give me a love for those you have brought into my life who may still be apart from you, and give me the ability to accept and appreciate them, and to lovingly, clearly share my faith with them and leave the results to you. Give me a heart for sharing my faith. Amen. Now I want to continue praying because I want to pray for those in the room who may still be unsure about God, unsure about Jesus. This has been a rather strange message if that's you. So here's this prayer and you can pray along with me. God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I am an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and the savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind, I will trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Amen.